Hello and welcome to the Day 3 Podcast. We are here with the whole team this week, uh, starting with Will. How are you doing this week, Will? A little uh, salty? Sure, we'll go with that. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Arena's just been handing me a big middle finger, but you know, I'm doing alright. Right on, right on, right on. And we also have Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. Sweet. And finally, we have Dalton in the house. How are you doing, Dalton? Pretty solid. How's it going? Not too bad at all. Got off of a sweet weekend of judging at SCG Philadelphia. So got to see a lot of really ridiculous magic in all kinds of formats. But with that, we're actually going to be talking about one format in particular because this weekend finished off the weekend of Pioneer Players Tours. And there's been some shakeups to Pioneer as a whole. So the three Players Tours that occurred recently were all Pioneer. And according to some wonderful statistics that Dalton has put together for us, there were 10 copies out of 24 top eight lists in the three players tours that were blue, black, inverter of truth combo. How do we all feel about this deck? I mean, Splinter Twin seems good. (laughs) Sure, sure. So the problem with blue, black, inverter is that it, People are saying, oh, it's twin, it wins on turn four, it's so good, but like... It does not win on twin four, or turn four. No. Twin four. <laughs> twin four. <laughs> twin four. Yes. No, it's... I just don't understand the parallels to be drawn between the two. Because when you have blue-black inverter... Let me let me pull up a, a lovely blue-black inverter list here, thanks to my friends at Star City Games... Let me throw my hot take in here real quick, Dalton. Please. Uh, blue black inverter is better than than blue red twin was because blue red twin was a tempo deck with an I win button. Blue black inverter is a Demir control deck with an I win button. It has it's better control elements. To Grixis twin than with the hand disruption and the other things that well the modern black packages can give you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just it's a harder control deck that has the I win button. So I think that's the problem that I just don't get with blue-black inverter is that when you have a a deck like Splinter Twin, you can still function on multiple axes without the cards that you are looking for. Yes, you want your combo. Yes, that wins you the game. But if you have your Pestermite by itself or your... uh, The other one that's... Deceiver Deceiver Exarch. When you have Deceiver Exarch by yourself... There are things that you can do with those cards to help further a game of magic. You can flash that in and tap something down to save yourself life. You can still use your cards to function, but blue-black inverter, if it's not inverter of truth or Thassa's oracle, it's really not doing much other than trying to find those two. Or slow you down enough to be able to find those cards. Yeah. Yeah, Dig Through Time is a huge element there. You're able to sort through enough of your deck that you can assemble the pieces that you need in your hand, find the answers if you need them super early, and once you're ready to hit that I win button, find the last couple of pieces that you need, get a whole bunch of stuff out of your graveyard anyways, get your graveyard super small, and then you win in a way that's really tough to interact with. Not impossible, but tougher because you have to specifically plan around it, so... It's definitely a deck. Um, I did see some tech for it over the weekend. I was leading deck checks at the Open on Sunday, and so I was able to check out the Pioneer list from the Classic, as well as all the lists from the Open. There was 
a larger than normal amount of nibble obstructionists, which was good. <laughs> Looks like they were specifically targeting uh, all those eye wins and turning them into, well, get nothing. Love me some stifle bird. Exactly. Didn't see a lot else, though, realistically, because what else is there to answer this other than playing Lotus Breach? You mean to tell me people weren't super hot on Tail's End? That's also I spicy. I did see one or two. Ooh. I was going to say, well, you know it's harder to interact with than Inverter Combo? A Hexproof Land. Oh, also, yes. Let's talk about the other boogeyman in the room. So, Lotus Breach deck had a standout weekend in Phoenix where it crushed everybody. I think it was at a 62% win rate overall against the field. And its only bad matchup was Mono Red? Yeah, so and that was basically still... if you give us the any opportunity, they just win. Yeah, let, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, according to MTG Goldfish, the only losing record I had was against Monored Aggro, and it was still 41%. Jeez. And against Mono Black Aggro, it had a 94% win rate. <laughs> I mean, when you put that combo together with Fey of Wishes to wish for whatever the hell you need in the moment, that's really hard because you're basically facing a post-sideboard game every game, you know? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just still baffled by a 62% win rate. And it's not like it wasn't an obnoxiously small sample size. That's 238 matches. Like, that's yeah. reasonable at a player's tour. Like 238 matches of people who are incredibly competent at what they're doing. Exactly. It, it's not just the people that brought that deck were, you know, maybe the the next level thinkers or the, the higher tier players. No, these are the best of the best who are doing mm-hmm. everything they can to function their deck. Yeah, it wasn't like there was only like four people, you know, like Gabriel Nassif, PVDDR, you know, like those level of people and there's only four. No, there's quite a few people playing the deck and it still did that well. Definitely. So... What are some of the ways that you can fight Lotus, assuming you're going to be playing in a Pioneer event this weekend? Like, how do you attack both Lotus Breach and Inverter of Truth being format staples in Pioneer right now? I'm just not playing Pioneer right now. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, to be honest. (laughs) Fun fact, I believe there are currently five cards, and I want to point out the problem with these five cards that can deal with triggered abilities. So something like Thassa's Oracle. Uh, Repudiate, Replicate, counters an activated or triggered ability. Oh, that does. I forgot about that. Nimble Obstructionist does. Disallow. Yeah. Tail's End. And, okay, it was four. Sorry, I had I had Stifle Bird and I had Nimble Obstructionist written. Ah, gotcha. But I see but no the, difference. And so the other thing, and the biggest problem that I do see with blue-black inverter, and to, to get back on that point, being a problem, and this does fall into our Lotus Breach territory, is that the best cards to deal with it are cards like that that have versatility, especially like Disallow, that could be versatile throughout at different parts of the match, as well as targeted discard to make them lose the pieces of their combo that they need. Blue-black inverter is a blue-black deck. What types of cards are counterspells and hand disruption? I'm going to go on a, out on a limb in here and say they're blue and black. It, the, I thought Wizards would put notes in green now, because, you know, the green color pie meme. Green gets everything. No, yes. so <laughs> green does get repudiate, 
Well, oh God! Hold on. <laughs> no, <laughs> they do. The problem with this is that the colors in Magic best suited to deal with blue black inverter happen to be blue black cards. You will see that if blue black inverter proves to be a more powerful deck and even Lotus Field as well, you'll see that the colors of the game are going to start to shift to uh, follow and absorb that. We saw it happen very recently in Standard that green was by far the best color available in the format. After multiple green cards were still banned, everyone was still running mono green. And big Stompy decks, or Oko, or Veil of Summer, even after these cards were axed, well, the shell found another thing to adapt to. And I think that is the biggest threat that Blue Black Inverter poses to the format, is colors. Yeah, I agree 100%. It just just creates this inbred metagame. Now, is Blue Black Inverter able to survive, let's say, a Dig Through Time ban? Yes. You think so? It it hurts the deck a little bit, but it's still a two-card combo deck that's in a control shell like yeah i think you would have to look at what kind of things could go to replace that obviously treasure cruise wouldn't be as good but it probably fills a very similar role try to restock the hand wipe away cards that are in the graveyard and proceed with your game plan from there obviously not as good maybe one of our fun delve draw spells will make it through but who knows what about the Delve Extra Turn spell, whose name evades Temporal me at the trespass. point? That's the one. Trespass. It's like, what, like eight triple blue? Something absurd. But I mean, uh, if it gets you there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that Dig has is it also lets you get your graveyard to be low enough that your Thassa's Oracle is a win condition. Because if you have no graveyard, then you Inverter of Truth, then you have no library, you insta-win. But if you don't have that Delve Engine to get your graveyard out of there, then you might have, because you're playing a control deck, 10, 15, 20 cards in your graveyard when you actually Inverter, and that doesn't really help. No, I, I agree with you there. You know, part of me is like, if the combo proves to be an issue, just ban Inverter. Like, you know, obviously, because that's the card that's enabling the whole combo, but you still have these mono-blue devotion decks that win with Thassa's Oracle that aren't running the inverter combo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're a little bit slower, but they seem really sweet. And it's like, I don't think those decks are to the point where you should ban Thassa's Oracle, so that doesn't seem to be a problem. But Dig Through Time is the card that's most likely to be broken in the future. Mm-hmm. I think that very much falls in line with the same reason that in the beginning of Popper, they banned Felidar's uh, Guardian, in that Felidar Guardian and Sahili Rai are both equal parts of that combo, but Felidar Guardian is the most likely repeat offender. And that yes. is why they chose to ban that card as opposed to the Planeswalker. And I think that Dig Through Time very strongly holds that same vibe. Repeat offender style. Repeat offender status. Okay. Absolutely, I agree. Also, um, you know, maybe Underworld Breach, maybe a two mana Yogg's Moth will is <laughs> oh, not <God>. good. <laughs> so whenever I first started hearing Lotus Field Breach, for some reason my mind went to, what the hell? Through the, the Breach is <laughs> not legal. <laughs> are they talking about Divine Swine? Uh, no, they are not. <laughs> 
So what a what a poor, sad surprise I was in for when it was just the stupid <laughs> legacy card. And then you looked at the deck list and you just went, why is this a thing in Pioneer? Yep. So how do you combat Lotus Breach? Because I'll be frank, I've not played enough Pioneer at this point to really know because I've not played the matchup. How do you actually fight Lotus Breach on top of that? Is it just outright pure graveyard hate all day, all, all the live long day? I mean, you, you, I mean, yeah, you can, you can have graveyard yeah, hate, and then they just go to their wishboard and grab something that deals with it, or they, right. they're running Blood natural Moon. states. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the big problem being that it is a Fey of Wishes sideboard deck, so you're going to have to not only deal with the cards that they are presenting, but also the cards in their sideboard. And for those that aren't familiar, the basic rundown is it is also a exile my library style deck um that wins off of thassa's oracle and jace wielder of mysteries so yeah i guess things you're looking at could be cards like it's it's so difficult because even cards like lost legacy or unmoored ego unmoored ego but who's playing that the blue black inverter deck which hold on (laughs) look at that more blue black cards (laughs) (laughs) no so when you look at cards like that what do you take do you take their underworld breach because they still have thassa's oracle in the deck do you go grab thassa's oracle no they have fey of wishes do you grab fey of wishes no they have breach and thassa's oracle like they have three different pieces and you can only take one and not only that if you grab breach then they'll go get their expansion explosion that's in the sideboard and kill you that way yeah or they have a breach hiding in the sideboard in case you do that. Also, yes. Um, yeah. Here's a hot take. Unmoored Ego can take Lotus Field out of their deck. You just have to cast it before they put a Lotus Field into play. Which is true. Yeah. And I think that would slow them down enough that you might be able to beat them. Yeah, because obviously they're incentivized to play Lotus Field after turn three when they can yeah. have enough lands to keep it around. Hopefully they don't have an Arboreal Grazer hand. Yeah, I was going to say that, but they are running the (laughs) one mana (laughs) drop a land. One mana land flute. Yep. So you have to be able to make sure they don't resolve Arboreal Grazer. Uh Uh-huh. Be able to find and cast an Unmoored Ego early enough. Uh Uh-huh. And then also be able to extract other things that can interact with your ability to actually beat them before they try to Thassa's Oracle you out of the game. Yes. Yep. You got there. Cool. Oh, yeah, and they also run Ugin in the board. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking Sweet. at some of these sideboards, and it's just like, it doesn't, it, it really, exit out of their graveyard. Who cares? Play Leyline. Who cares? They'll play around it. Like, <laughs> this this deck is yeah, nuts. this is really the Swiss Army knife of Pioneer, which is both really fascinating and really terrifying in the same way. So we'll see how the metagame shapes up. There's a bunch of Pioneer events this weekend, I'm sure, so hopefully somebody figures it out. Maybe I'll see you at NRG Indie. So now if you're playing tech against these two decks, you expect them to be 40% of the field. There's still 60% of the field that's out there waiting to prey on whatever you're going to do. And how do you just not lose to that 60%? Maybe you never even see that matchup or those two matchups that you've been preparing for and tuning for. I see you are talking about mono red. That is peak magic, man. Not exactly what I was talking about, but yes. We play rock, paper, scissors, and you're that kid in grade school who's like, bomb! (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm okay with this. <laughs> let the aggro win. Oh, always let aggro win because I'm always playing aggro. All right, so with all that pioneer talk, we're gonna get back into our main topic, which is part two of a very lengthy discussion talking about how judges can be helpful and how judges can help you at your next competitive event. And stay tuned afterwards for a weekly segment of the week that is very, very judge-related indeed. We'll see you then. All right, so Marcos and Dalton say, you know, a new player especially, say a, a judge is called, they get a GRV. Well, what is a GRV? What, what does that mean? What are the different levels of penalties? What do they mean as the tournament goes on? Just break it down for us. You know, there are probably newer players out there that maybe they don't want to call a judge because they're afraid that the penalty for a mistake is much more severe than it is. You know, just just elaborate for us. Yeah, and also if we could talk about long-term bans from the game for certain repeated offenses, you know, there might be some players out there who are scared of having their DCI banned for a year because they made three dumb mistakes in a row or whatever. Sure. Because ban- bannings happen, and... Sometimes I mean, they take a little bit longer than they should. Yeah, well... <laughs> so, when it comes to that... um well, let's just talk at the, the fundamental level first. So penalties that we give out at a competitive REL event are there for a couple of reasons. Uh, you have typically a few scales of different penalties. You have warnings, which are effectively just us wagging a finger at you and saying, okay, you done goofed, something went wrong here. Let's make sure that this doesn't happen again. Let's fix it. But realistically, there's no need to penalize you necessarily. But we do want to have a record of that warning so that we know that this is a thing that happened. So like when I had to call a judge on myself at my first Grand Prix and you showed up? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So in that instance, you had gotten a GRV uh, for basically doing something that you could not have done at the time. Uh, I believe it was moving a volcanic island to the graveyard. No, I shuffled it back into my library when it should have been in the graveyard. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So either way, you're done goofed. And that's a perfect example of why we give out warnings. We want to make sure that there's a record that you're done goofed. And especially to Brian's question, because having a record of things that have happened with certain players is important because when you see the same warnings, game losses, same infractions, same descriptions for things that have gone wrong in games, showing up over a long period of time through multiple events, all tied to the same player, well, that's a good indication that something more nefarious is going on there. But in Will's instance, he got a GRV for making a mistake. It happens to basically everybody who plays this game. And as long as it's not a consistent thing, then that is all that will ever come of it. So warnings are important because, as Marco says, it allows us to help track things going on through events. Some different types of infractions have upgrade paths. So something that may start out as a warning could be upgraded to a game loss, which would be our next highest stake. 
So the, the ways something could be upgraded are if you have accumulated multiple warnings for the same thing. So for example, a game rule violation is an example of a gameplay error. Should you receive three warnings for a gameplay error in a tournament, that third one upgrades to a game loss. And what this is saying is that over the course of this event, you've had multiple warnings, you've had multiple instances where a judge has come to correct a game state and not only has it needed corrected, but it's needed corrected to the point where something truly did go wrong in this game. And we want to reinforce the idea that this is an important tournament. There are things at stake here, and we want to make sure the integrity of this event stays at a high level. So when a player receives a game loss, it's supposed to say... We have given you multiple instances uh, through which you could correct your behavior in this tournament. And by this point, it has, it has become problematic that we want to in reinforce this idea of keeping our tournament reasonable. You have you know showed that you are not either capable or not willing to be capable of keeping better focus or keeping an eye out on the game state as it is laid out and thus require further incentivization. And you have to think of all these penalties as effectively things that have to happen in order to make sure that the game, the tournament, the match, the integrity of everything is maintained to the best level possible. Uh, so for example, Dalton just went over game losses. These are penalties that come out for not just having acquired multiple warnings uh, for doing the same thing over and over again, but also for more severe issues. So for example, one thing that outright just goes straight to a game loss without needing any kind of previous warnings is something like tardiness or a decklist problem, uh, where the decklist doesn't match what you are actually playing and therefore something needs to be corrected. This is something that's abusable by somebody who's trying to game the system and the appropriate type of penalty for that would be a game loss. Same thing for tardiness. If you're not there when the match starts, well, then it's not fair for you to show up whenever you feel like to be able to play a three-game match. So at that point, if you are tardy beyond a reasonable time, usually within the judge's discretion, then you are assigned a game loss because the match starts at this time. If you are not there at that time, then we cannot expect the game to continue the way it should have been similar to how everybody else in the room has 50 minutes to be able to play out their matches. And again, it's just maintaining that kind of integrity that this is when your match starts, be there for your match. If not, you'll get a game loss. Yep. So a step above a game loss would then be a match loss. And these are reserved for much more serious occurrences at a tournament. Things that are outright disruptive or so easy to gain an advantage from that the idea of doing it must be heavily incentivized against. Obviously, something like a, an unsporting conduct major. So player using racial slurs, taking inappropriate photos of another player, purposely obstructing another player with the intent to induce physical contact are all things that absolutely cannot be had in a, at an event. And so the use of those must be severely punished to, you know, keep players from anything like that. Yeah, because, for example, let, let's put this into a contextual situation here. You're sitting down 
against your opponent and you're at a magic tournament. So you have no control over who you are paired against. If the person you happen to be paired against during any given round happens to be somebody who makes your being at this tournament so uncomfortable by doing things like using racial slurs, anything that would normally be covered under something like Unsporting Conduct Major, which handles a lot of these really problematic type of interactions between players, it is not reasonable for us to expect you to sit down and play a match of magic against this player, even if we did something like give them a game loss or a warning or anything like that. Because realistically, at that point, we can't expect you to be able to sit down and have a fun game of magic against this opponent. So at that point, that match should just straight out be over. And that's why things like match losses are important because you cannot be forced to sit down against somebody who would actually commit an infraction like unsporting conduct major. Yeah, and and that's not just racial racial slurs either. Transphobic comments, homophobic comments, anything against a person's mental development or where they may exist on any sort of neurological spectrum. Comments like that are absolutely unacceptable at magic events and thus that is not an environment that we can foster. Exactly. And, and I, I really want to use the specific words that are in the IPG for this. So specifically for something like unsporting conduct major. Here it's defined as something where a player takes action towards one or more individuals that could reasonably be expected to create a feeling of being harassed, threatened, bullied, or stalked. And that's a pretty large number of things, especially considering just how reasonable people would be expected to react to a certain phrase. There's times where people will heavily argue what could fit under this, but realistically, that doesn't matter as much as if you are making your your game space in any way feel unwelcoming towards anybody who would want to play, that's enough for me. Yeah. Uh, quick, quick little PSA here. It is easier to not be a jerk by not saying something than it is to open your mouth and say something rude or discriminatory. Uh, if these behaviors are so problematic, why not just throw that person out, like, right there on the spot? That's a really good question. <laughs> so, so uh, if I may, uh, right under the, the section that Marcos just read, there is a point that says, it is possible for an offender to commit this infraction without intending malice or harm to the subject of the harassment. So, player makes a joke that is in bad taste. Just because no one is offended doesn't mean that that behavior is okay. So, you know, if you're at a store that's, you know, having a tournament and all the players in the event have to be at least 21 because there's going to be beer there. You know, maybe the jokes that you allow aren't quite as... You know, maybe you're a little more lenient because of the, the nature of the event. But just because no one's offended doesn't mean that we can have people using language and behavior at events anyways. Right. And, and so that would be a good distinction of why a player would be awarded a match loss without being thrown out of an event. Right. Especially because a lot of times, and this is just an unfortunate byproduct of language, a lot of times people will use words and phrases that they believe means one thing, but don't understand and are just happen to be ignorant of the fact that also means another thing that could potentially make someone feel threatened or harassed mm -hmm. or 
and any of the things that were outlined beforehand. So that's why they're not necessarily immediately removed from the event, because if it was an unintentional thing, then that's also not as fair to that player, even though they should not have been using that in the first place. This is an opportunity for us to educate them on that and make sure that it doesn't happen again. Multiple times, that becomes more of a problem, and then that can be in something that we invoke to have them removed from the event. Uh, mm -hmm. But specifically, as an isolated incident, the most appropriate way to handle that would be something like a match loss where, okay, this match is over because you can't continue it based off of what was just said. That's not reasonable to continue. But as long as you correct the as long as you correct the behavior, then that player can continue the rest of the day without doing that to anyone else. A great example of this, you know, being potentially unintentional, on Jeff Hoagland's stream, he said job, but with like a Y, you know, sound at the beginning of it. So it sounded like yob, um, you know, just kind of being goofy a little bit, you know. Um, but somebody in his chat pointed out that in Slavic regions, I think it's Russian is the origin in the language um, that can be interpreted to be discriminatory slash a racial slur of, of some kind. I don't remember exactly what the reference to it was, but you know, for us over here in the Western culture, you know, when you say, you know, say job with a Y at the beginning of it, it doesn't, it seems harmless enough because it's just like, Oh, you're being goofy. You're saying words weird. But to a different culture, that's, you know, something that is hostile, discriminatory. Yeah. And, you know, now that now that we know that, we can internalize not to say it like that because it could offend somebody. And a similar example at an event, um, a player within the past few months was given a match loss at an SCG event for referring to his opponent's card as being written in karate. Um, that's just ignorance. The, the card was in... I, I believe it was Japanese. Um, it's irrelevant what it was actually and, in. <laughs> well, and, so the, the card was in a, a, a language from yes. that general region of the world that did not use English characters or Arabic characters, and the player referred to it as being written in karate. The player wasn't saying that karate is a language and wasn't even you know specifically trying to to put down people who are you know, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, whatever language it may have been written in, karate thus being a, a Japanese martial arts. But nonetheless, by boiling down an entire culture, language, and history to just being karate is not something that is okay. You know, any, any player at that tournament of, you know, Japanese ancestry who feels like their entire culture has literally just been boiled down to a martial arts for movies, probably wouldn't feel welcome with a comment like that. And so that player was given a match loss. Uh, he talked to the judge and the tournament organizer, and from what I understand of the situation, actually took it very well. They recognized why their comment wasn't okay, accepted the match loss, and continued to play in the event, which is great. That, it's exactly what we want from a situation like that. Um, mm -hmm. They mentioned that at their local store, it was just kind of a joke that they used, and he didn't even think about it when he was talking to, you know, the the players at the event. Uh, the judge who fielded the call was not of Japanese ancestry and still recognized that that was a problem and that they didn't want that behavior at their tournament. So, you know, once again, another example of not realizing 
that what you're saying is not okay. Yes, how you joke with your friends is not going to be okay with strangers in public. Uh, bad puns are fine. <laughs> I mean, also depends on the pun, but yeah, fair enough. Dad jokes are probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> Dad jokes. That's the only acceptable form of communication. If you actually look up the player communication section of the MTR, there's an entire section on puns. I'm not sure I believe you, Dalton. Uh, yeah, right there. Section uh, 4.1, subsection 8. Marcos is going to call Dalton out on his BS right now. <laughs> nope. I'm just sitting back and letting Brian figure out where the policy documents are and having him read them for himself. All right, let's see. Let's see what I can Google here real quick. Uh, magic <laughs> tournament rules. Uh, first hit wpn.wizards.com. All right, seems like a good sign. Uh, my language is English. United States. Uh, four point one is player communications. Ooh. For there's no subsections in those. Ha <laughs> 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 goes straight from four point one to four point two. You bet. And look at that. Brian has basically already stepped into becoming a judge. You listeners didn't know this, but Marcos and I actually have the test printed out for Will and Brian. Oh, and God. as soon as Will comes to pick up his free sticker, I am giving him that test. I need to study my layers first. Those always get me. There. Yeah, you don't want to layer the stickers because then you can't see the ones on bottom. God. So Marcos, what is there after a match loss? So after match loss is the most severe penalty, which is a disqualification, which basically says what has occurred is enough to remove you from this tournament because at this point, the tournament integrity cannot be maintained if you were to continue playing in this tournament or you were just way too disruptive to this tournament's uh, functioning that you are no longer allowed to continue playing in said tournament. When you DQ somebody, do you go full-out baseball umpire, and you're just like, you're out of here, and throw them out? <laughs> oh, I mean, you can, but that's not going to go well for you. There are some you, you can do like it once. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, that might result in other things happening that might lead to like even more reason to DQ that player. Let's put it that way. That's fair. And so with disqualifications, obviously this is the most severe penalty because at this point your time in the event is done. Uh, and this is very, very rare. A lot of people joke about like, if you keep this up, you'll get disqualified or things like that. But really, you have to be doing something super severe to actually be disqualified mm -hmm. from a tournament. Mm -hmm. Things like you are cheating. Things like you literally punch someone in the face. The obvious things that are just not permittable to anyone in a public space. Theft. Are there yeah. are there any uh, specific examples you can give of a DQ that would not reveal an identity of a player that you could share as an example? I suspect there's a lot of instances of bribery where they use the incorrect language. Uh, so there were quite a few instances of that, so much so that they actually changed the policy on bribery and wagering to bring it down to a match loss, but if you know that bribery and wagering is not okay, then it is still a disqualification. So an, an example of something that's disqualifiable that... So one of the judge tools I really like, um, 
we run judge conferences and events like that to help teach people some of the things we've all learned throughout the years. One format that we use for turn or our conferences are mock tournaments. Essentially, you get a bunch of judges in a room together who have done this for a long time, and they pretend to be really bad players who, <laughs> you know, create all these really bad situations and forget all their triggers and things like that. And in doing so, there are a lot of newer or prospective judges who are there to answer those calls. That way, the judge will take the call, they'll give their ruling, and then you can immediately provide feedback. <clears throat> I was disqualified from the one I went to last weekend because I was casting spells into my own Chalice of the Void that should have been triggered, but I told the judge that my opponent never called me out on it, like my opponent should have remembered the triggers too, because Chalice of the Void is symmetrical, so he is also responsible. Um, absolutely not how it works, but... Something like that would be an example of a disqualifiable offense. So cheating comes with three components uh, in order to be disqualified for cheating. A rule must be broken. So in this case, me not acknowledging Chalice of the Void triggers. A player must be aware that a rule is being broken. I most certainly was. I, I knew that I wasn't announcing my own triggers. And a player must stand to gain advantage from not either revealing this behavior or not, or the rule being broken, in which case I was. My spells were resolving. That's definitely advantageous. So if you hit all three of those criteria, that is enough to disqualify someone from cheating. However, it is fully possible to be disqualified from an event for cheating, even if you were not cheating, because... It's essentially just like a court case. You know, a, a person can go to prison for a crime they didn't do because of all the evidence that's mounted against them. And so if if after an investigation that a head judge does determines that you, you know, all these different facets line up together and they believe that you, you know, stood to gain an advantage, a rule was broken, they believe that you knew the rule was broken and stood to gain an advantage from it, whether or not you were actually cheating, it is still, you know, in the best interest of the judge to remove you from the event because by allowing behavior like that to occur, you would be compromising the integrity of the tournament. Yeah, and, and an important aspect there is this is not a level like in certain court cases where it's beyond a reasonable doubt. All it is, is a judgment call from the highest authority in the room, which is the head judge, therefore very experienced, has mm -hmm. a good amount of familiarity with how these kind of things work. And if that head judge decides that they are 51% sure that you were in fact cheating, that is enough for them to make the call. I can say for a fact that looking back on a disqualification that I executed as a head judge, I, looking back on it, I feel that I probably should not have. And that in, at the time, with some perspective on it afterwards, I probably disqualified a player that was not intentionally trying to gain an advantage. But at the time that I was at the event, based off of the information I had and based off of my gut instinct, I decided to disqualify that player because there was still a significant amount of evidence to show that they were 
uh, taking advantage of something and pulled the trigger on the disqualification. Now, that like I was like I said, I, looking back on it now, I feel that was probably not the right call, uh, and that can happen. But what you have to remember in these kind of situations is judges have to make a judgment call at the moment with the information that they have available to them. And that's, again, going back to what we said at the beginning of this, judges are human. We will make mistakes. It's very unlikely that we will disqualify somebody without good cause. Because uh, at this point, maybe I should have only been 40% uh, believing that this player was in fact cheating, but at that point, I felt like it was more than that, and I went ahead with it. You know, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, if uh, said player under suspicion, if they are belligerent and hostile, <laughs> that does not help their case. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Uh, another disqualifiable offense, and another example from my uh, history of judging. If a judge delivers a ruling to a player and the player starts going full ham and reactive to the point where they actually physically push past and basically shoulder check the head judge, <laughs> you're done. You're done. That's that. Like, you are out of this event. That is not something that is allowable. Like, you just cannot do that. Literally seen that happen and... Uh, it wasn't going well for that player leading up to that point, and it was already an investigation that they were probably doing something they shouldn't have. Uh, but at that point, they made it way worse for themselves. So The best part is you still have to ask them to write a statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and if you ever want to get into that, there will be another episode that we'll do down the line where we go more into the in-depth of how certain things will go if you do get disqualified. But let's just put it this way. If you get disqualified you will be told what needs to happen by the judge who is disqualifying you. There's a whole process to it. You have the right to tell your side of the story as, as impartially as you would like, and it can be handled from there. But th th that's the entirety of how uh, we use penalties in judging. And realistically, when it comes back to Brian's question of bannings and things like that, bannings are something that judges don't handle. Judges just report what happens at an event. Not everyday judges. Not everyday judges. Judges handle assigning penalties. Those penalties go into a database that wizards then can review. And then, especially if you are disqualified, then wizards will typically be looking at your history of how many penalties you've gotten, uh, circumstances that are specific to your situation, and they will make the call as to whether or not you will be banned from the DCI or being able to compete in any tournaments in the future. How that goes, I don't know the exact process because obviously I'm not on the committee who handles that. That committee is of wizards people with the some DCI. influence from... Exactly, the DCI. With some influence from judges who happen to be on that committee, but they are not specifically there as judges. They are just there as members of the committee. And, and with that... Being disqualified does not necessarily mean that you are removed from an event. If I believe that, you know, there was a lot of evidence that said you could be cheating, but, you know, maybe it wasn't quite all the way there, you know, I may feel confident enough to disqualify you, but there's still a chance that, you know, you're welcome to go and join a side event now or... You know, you you seemed like you were at least a little bit remorseful and might try better. 
being disqualified doesn't mean you're out of the event. However, just because you do get disqualified or just because you're not banned from magic doesn't mean you might not be banned from an event. So, you know, if if things go really wrong with Star City Games, they would have every right to not allow you to their events, even if you're not actually banned by the DCI. Like, they are still an independent tournament organizer that is capable of enforcing, you know, their own set of bans. Right. So, DQs specifically apply to the event, and bannings apply to things like from tournament organizers or from Wizards. Mm-hmm. Just to just to clarify there, um, you can be disqualified from an event. That does not mean you are disqualified from the venue. Correct. Yep. Po- it's possible. Yeah, I just wanted to but, you know I just wanted to clarify that because you said event twice to describe yeah. both things. Oh yes, sorry. Um, and, and and that was a lot more common when bribery and wagering was a disqualifiable offense. Yes. So people who had no idea that that wasn't allowed would get disqualified for it the the head judge of that event would have a talk and say hey that's not cool it's not actually allowed but i recognize you weren't trying to do something wrong so if you want to go do another side event and not do that you're more than welcome to absolutely and technically i mean when it comes to things like that player who shoulder checked the head judge uh they were very much removed not just from the event but also from the venue because we're not going to have players who are literally going to be assaulting tournament officials and staff at mm-hmm. that venue anymore. It's just not safe. So it, it all varies based on the circumstance. So Dalton, you mentioned that I could be banned from basically doing any Star City Games events ever because they're independent contractors, as it were, but they also award pro points or player points or mythic points or whatever they are now as a way to the players tour isn't that kind of a funny gray area where i can say hey i'm not banned from magic and this is my way to the players tour why am i banned from your event why can't i play in your event to earn those points you are right that's a funny gray area (laughs) because because as the tournament organizer, they are technically renting or leasing the venue. They are banning you from entering the venue, not from playing in the event. However, the event is inside the venue that you cannot enter, so you cannot play in said event. Correct? Yeah. That's I would imagine, yeah. Because, be. like, you're right. The, the tournament organizer can't say you can't enter my event, but they can absolutely say, I don't want you in my building. Oh, look, you didn't show up for your match. Bummer. I'll just set up a card table outside in the parking lot. Screw you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's it's like, you know, it, a good analogy, maybe not a good analogy, but an analogy is like saying you got banned from, I don't know, say you got banned from Kohl's for shoplifting when you were a teenager. You did, you know, dumb mistake, but they banned you for life. That doesn't mean you can't buy Levi's anymore. That just means you can't buy Levi's from Kohl's. Yeah, that's right on right on the nose why are you shopping at kohl's i'm not that was just the first place i could think of (laughs) he's he's not shopping he's shoplifting remember ah yes 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 good call good call wow dalton that was special anyway now that we've talked about penalties and all that i believe we talked about the appeals process too somewhere if you don't like the results that come out or you think you were treated unfairly 
actually, before we start into you guys asking us some questions, I'd like to ask <laughs> you a couple questions. What do you guys perceive the appeals process to be as players at a competitive REL event? Because I've heard some mixed results of what the appeals process <laughs> is, and I'm intrigued as to what you guys uh, view it as. Um, for me personally, it's, I understand that the appeals process is supposed to be there for if you feel like the judge that took the call made a mistake and it could be a simple they misread something or, you know, they've been on their feet for eight hours today already. They are tired. They need a break. Stuff like that, that you can request an appeal and the head judge will, you know, verify the ruling and make an accurate or, you know, reinforce what that judge said basically you know it's a double check like a um like when they review a play in football or something it's like hey we don't know if this was the right call so we're gonna have somebody else look at it as well and get a consensus on it i feel like that's you know that's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a just a double check you know to make sure that the correct action was taken i feel like some people try and use it for angle shooting sometimes mm. maybe like a stall tactic of some kind just to try and get some more time for them to try and think through what they're doing maybe but personally i don't think i've ever i've never had the need to appeal a call because well for one you know i worked in the service industry so i'm kind to <laughs> people that i interact with in that manner and i've you know never had a judge that blatantly made a bad call because their job is to make the correct call how about you brian I feel like it would be great if 100% of every ruling were very easy, black and white, but sometimes you get into that, I'd say still 90-95% of rules and things that you would call a judge for are you know super easy to fix, black and white, they come over, they fix it, whatever. Sometimes you get into a gray area and then that's where the appeal comes in. Uh, if an opponent is doing something that's against the rules and you think they're doing it maliciously to you know intentionally cheat or intentionally gain an advantage and the first judge doesn't find it that way and you know that's when you would call for an appeal or whatever so dalton how do those responses line up with your view on what a appeals process is for when it comes to judging at a combariel event so as we haven't explicitly stated it before, at the majority of events where there is a head judge and several other judges at the event, such as floor judges, should you feel that the ruling that the original or initial floor judge that took the call was not correct, or you don't feel like they collected all the pertinent information, or you just don't understand how they came to their conclusion, you have, in most cases, the right to an appeal in which case either the head judge or a designated appeals judge will come and field the call and take it again to deliver a final ruling. So as we hadn't explicitly stated that, I wanted to go ahead and do so. Yeah. Um, and I actually want liked... to add an addendum to that, which is specifically with an appeal. I I've heard a lot of judges out there talking about wanting to preserve the appeals process. And like if they're head judging a larger event where they have floor judges, even though they're the head judge and let's say they're like right next to a call, they don't take the call because they want to preserve the right to appeal and things like that. I want to stress an appeal is simply the way I look at it is you are having your call being heard by the highest authority in the room, period. 
and mm-hmm. that comes down to having either the head judge or an appeals judge who has effectively been granted the authority of the head judge by the head judge. So effectively, it's not necessarily going for a, a double check. It's just making sure that you are heard by the highest authority in the room and making sure that that call is final. Mm-hmm. So with what you both have said, I would definitely agree that there's a lot of... Uh, you, you two have done well. I, I definitely give you a passing grade. Um, <laughs> Yay, do I get a so, sticker? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can come pick it up uh, whenever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll be back in half an hour, guys. Disingenuous? <laughs> huh? I said, all right, I'll be back in half an hour, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so... The idea of calling for appeals, as we've mentioned, you know, of course, is trying to preserve the integrity of not only the event, but yes, you know, it could be a long day. It could be the end of the day. You know, maybe you feel that the judge didn't ask all the questions they should have. And getting that second opinion of the head judge is important. I forget which one of you, I believe it was Brian that mentioned that there are also players who may try to appeal a ruling because they want more time to think about something, or they just don't quite understand the line, so they might try to use it and say, oh, well, I want to appeal this ruling for something inconsequential because I just need more time on my clock. I'm not going to say it's never happened. I'm definitely going to say it shouldn't happen because using the game like that to get an advantage would be something that I, as a head judge, would not welcome in my event to the point where you are attempting to use tournament operations to your advantage and that type of behavior would not be acceptable uh so any of my players out there don't do that brian did not (laughs) give you a good idea uh (laughs) but it's something that can happen and something that as a player you might want to be aware of you know if you call your opponent or if you call a judge for something that you believe to be a very simple call and the the floor judge also believes it's a very simple call and your opponent wants to appeal it, then maybe that's something to be aware of. You know, keep a keep an eye on not only the clock, but, you know, how how long your opponent is taking to answer questions or whatnot. For sure. And when it comes to the appeals process in general, uh, again, I do want to emphasize that appeals are there to make sure that, again, you're having your case heard by the highest authority in the room. They're not there to Mm -hmm. angle shoot. They're not there to see if you can get a different answer from a different judge. It's entirely there to make sure that, uh, you know, again, judges are human uh, with very few exceptions. And (laughs) we really try to be as as accurate as we possibly can. (laughs) Have you seen Jared Silva work an event? That man is a like a judge sent from the future back in time Terminator style like. (laughs) It's incredible. Anyways, <laughs> um, that was a compliment to, for those that are unclear. It it, it really <laughs> was. Like Jared Silva is like I've not had the chance to work on the floor with him very often, but I did work with him at a GP uh, where he was on my team, and I genuinely did not realize that judges could be that efficient. It's crazy. Hmm. Um, so going back to appeals. When it comes to this, it's not necessarily something that you should be using for anything other than just making sure that what you believe to be correct is correct. In that instance, if the judge did not do a good job explaining the reasoning behind their ruling, 
and you feel that they're making a case based off of something that is not actually what the tournament policy says, you can absolutely double check it, get an appeal, the head judge will either confirm or overrule it, and everybody can move on with their day. But that's really the important part is you want to make sure that you're moving on with your day with a correct ruling. And Mm -hmm. as much as judges always try and get it right, you know, every single judge out there has punted a call. It (laughs) happens. Sometimes you just aren't thinking, you shortcut, you didn't uh, see another interaction on the board that would change the answer. As complicated as it is for you guys to figure out what a board state looks like sometimes and the reason you need to call a judge. Also remember that when we come over sometimes, we're taking in a very complicated board state and have to give you a correct answer within about a minute or two. And sometimes we just don't see everything. And that happens. But again, that's what the appeals process is for. We're there to make sure that we we can get you the correct ruling. And if something just seems glaringly off or you're just not 100% sure about why the ruling worked that way, you can either ask the judge to explain a little bit more or ask for an appeal, get the highest authority in the room who has been trusted to be the head judge to come over and explain it and everything will be good. I think it's also on you as the player, at least a little bit, to know what your cards do and know some common interactions that they have with other commonly played cards. If you're the type of player who's playing a Blood Moon, know how it interacts with, say, Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth. <laughs> you would think that a, yes. a player who puts cards in their deck knows what they do. The amount of times that we've found that it, they don't, though, is genuinely surprising. So with, <laughs> so with that, I would definitely say it's more on the Urborg player than the Blood Moon player, because the Blood Moon player shouldn't really expect Urborg. Urborg players should True. definitely expect Blood Moon. That's fair. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but it is helpful as the Blood Moon player to know that it shuts off Urborg. Yes, exactly. You have a beautiful mountain there. <laughs> So to wrap it up this week, Marcos, with all of our talk about penalties, DQs, appeals, all that fun garbage, I hear you had a pretty fun time judging over at SCG Philly this week. For our weekly segment of the week, trademark, you want to fill us in? I definitely do. So without going into too many details, first of all, I loved judging Star City Games Philadelphia opened this weekend. It was a lot of fun. It was a really great event on multiple ends. But there were a couple of sour points, as with basically any judging event, a couple of which included penalties of USC Major for people being exclusionary and harassing and just not great people. And this is something that I'm seeing a lot of people getting fed up with. I consider myself among that group that is just getting outright fed up with it. And so I'd like to just kind of address that real quickly, get your guys' thoughts on it if you like. But ultimately, when I hear about women complaining about being harassed and made to feel uncomfortable, when they just want to participate in playing the best and just outright most fun game in the world, it means that we as a whole are not doing enough. I mean, people do realize it's 2020, right? Like, We are in 2020, and yet people still utter phrases like, oh, I can't believe you lost to a girl. And that's 
that perspective is just fundamentally flawed. That is something that, even though some people see it as joking, it is not a joke when multiple women I know and really respect as magic players and people in general, but multiple women I know have come to judges at the point of tears because of stupid phrases like that being the norm of how they experience every single match. So for an example, if you think of whatever would tilt you the most, Will I think has some experience with how uh, his moto ladder play has been going today, where he seems to have run into the things that tilt him the most in literally every single game. The yes. analogy I want to make is, imagine that happens to you every single event, and there's nothing you can do about it because it is just based off of who you are as a human being. And that is just outright not okay. No, it's not. The fact that they even continue to play is, is astounding. I mean, we're all in agreement here that that kind of behavior from individuals is completely unacceptable and just plain wrong. Like The problem is, not so much just in the fact that these kinds of things are being said to women to their face at events as if it's okay, but it's also the fact that the people who are saying these things are not being called out enough on the fact that what they're saying is wrong. So to that, I will put these two statements out there. To those who have been sitting out on this issue, you are part of the problem. Don't be afraid or nervous to call out any kind of problematic behavior, language, or attitudes from the people even in your own playgroup. It will be unnerving. It may put you at odds with your friends. And yes, you may end up losing people from your social circle. But you know what? I promise you, and having done this in the past and from my own experience, you are going to be better off having lost those people and gaining the respect from other people who care about the fact that you have taken action to correct this kind of issue. Your actions will outweigh what you potentially lose tenfold at least. And, you know, part of my language here, but if somebody... If you're going, you know, if you're going to lose somebody's friendship over you calling them out for being an asshole, they're not really your friend. True. Please call me out if I'm being an asshole. I'm an asshole quite often and <laughs> happy to be called out on it. The difference is we're respectable human beings. So we go, oh, man, I didn't think of it like that. Or, you know, you're right. I'm having a bad day. I am sorry. As opposed to getting defensive and then being more of a right, asshole. But, the, <laughs> but remember, but also having a bad day and and just getting salty or angry or whatever is still not an excuse because no. ultimately what happens in those points is you resort to what you have inherently been programmed to associate with how you're feeling. And those words matter. Words carry weight. And ultimately your words matter. And if you feel that certain words that you're using are fine, but don't factor in how they affect others, then you need to be okay with being told that they're not fine and just deal with it. Yes. And the second statement, to those who are being oppressed, marginalized, and made to feel unwelcome at a magic event, please continue to speak up as much as it hurts and as much as it's going to be repetitive because this is not something that will stop after the second or third or maybe even 33rd time that you have to say it. But I promise you more and more people every single day are starting to finally listen and hear you. Please don't give up. 
because we can only do this together if we keep pushing forward on it. But do not let these assholes keep you away from doing something that you love. People are here to help you. At events, judges and the tournament organizers are there to help you and make sure this stuff does not stand because I know for one, I will not stand for it. And I have plenty of other people who will all stand next to me and outright say we will not stand for that anymore. It's almost like we've said before, it's easier to not be a jerk. Yes. The problem is people don't think that they're being jerks when they make statements like that. And they need to know that they're being jerks. And that falls on every single one of us to tell them you're being a jerk and you need to stop. Okay, in reference specifically to like the, oh man, I can't believe you lost to a girl thing. If if you don't think you're being a jerk by saying that, like even if you, you have to be able to, to reflect on that, even if you're saying it as a joke to your friend, like you have to have the awareness to know that, hey, that's a jerk thing to say that, that somebody else will hear even if your friend knows you're joking. I mean, I, I, I can't fathom somebody being able to say that exact phrase and you saying like, hey, do you do think about what you just said? And they're like, oh, yeah, man, I sound like a jerk. I, I can't fathom no. somebody not honestly like. And let's put it this way. That's why you and I are friends, Will. <laughs> Legitimately, like straight out. That is why I consider you among my friends and everybody on this podcast are my friends because nobody here would ever be able to say something like that and not realize that it's a horrible thing to say. So therefore, we none of us would ever actually say something like that. The problem is, as much as I hate to say it, there are a lot of, lack of a better term, meatheads who just don't care or, you know, swear that they are better than women or better than trans people or better than non-binary people or just better than everybody because they are born with the privilege of being a straight white cis male. And and I hate to call out a specific group, but let's face it, the overwhelming majority of people who these issues come up from are those who fall into that category. You know, as somebody that falls into that demographic, you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes up not just for women, not just for trans, no. not for binary. It, it comes up for even uh, minorities like myself, you know, like it, it's. I will say it's nowhere near as bad for me as it is for some uh, female players, some trans players, some non-binary players who I know, but it, it's still out there and it's it's non-zero and it's not okay. Exactly. And, you know, I think that, I don't know, probably the straight white cis male category is probably like the largest specific demographic, correct? Well, out of people who play in out in the real world as it were sure people who play sure. kitchen magic it's probably pretty close to even know, across the board what, or something yeah. But, but yeah well yeah I'm, I'm speaking specifically like out at tournaments that kind of stuff so you have that skewed you know your, your skewed confirmation bias regardless either way i'm not trying to excuse any behavior i'm just saying it's easy to think like oh it only comes from that group when that's all you see which, I mean, predominantly... And well, and the reason that you only see that group is because they're pushing out everybody who's not. Exactly. With yeah. this behavior. It's exactly. not like ever. It's not like nobody is interested in playing Magic from these different groups. Everybody's just scared away. Yeah, and that's unacceptable. 
Yeah, if the first time you show up to an event is where you end up sitting down across from a player and they make a comment about your race, your gender, your sexuality, anything, they and make this supposed fun night of gaming into basically calling you out for being less than you are, then why in the hell would you ever go back? There's no reason for you to continue to put yourself in that environment where people are going to behave this way. And that's why it's so important to call this out because we cannot have people who continue to push these people away still be an active force in this community because the community is so much more than just those people. It should be everyone and everyone has the right to sit down and just play a fun game that they enjoy. That is genuinely, I think, the best game ever made in the world. Oh yeah. Why in the world is that exclusive to a certain group of people because they're being assholes to everybody who's not them? That is absolutely not fair. It's bullshit and it's in time to stop. Even though the straight white male um, demographic is probably the largest one, it's also the most exclusive one in a way because they, uh, you know, they have their groups that they exclude others from. So, and it's, yeah, like you said, with how they act and that kind of stuff, It and it's not all of them. It's not all of us. Like, there's some good ones out there, but, you know, it takes one bad experience to ruin something for somebody. I would venture a guess that the vast majority of Magic players are not jerks, but it only does take a couple bad apples to spoil the bunch to use that terrible cliche. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, if you're talking like somebody goes up to their first tournament and it's 1,200 people and they have one bad experience with one person in the first round and they, they're done with it, it's like, yeah, that's one out of 1,200. Doesn't mean the other 1,199 people are bad. That one guy was, though, or one person. You know what? I, I, I think there is something else to that. So I agree with you. Uh, out of any large room of Magic players, I am convinced that the overwhelming majority are not bad people and not people who are the ones being exclusionary. The problem is that when that one person speaks up, nobody else does. And, and I can say this from experience. I've been in situations where I've seen people acting in that kind of way and watched the room full of people or the or the even the small draft table full of other magic players sit there and just kind of awkwardly keep looking at their cards and not speak up and that's not okay and I think that more than anything is what is allowing that one or two bad egg person to continue to thrive to the point where they are ostracizing a significant amount of people from our community. Yeah, I get that, yeah. I, and I, that's that's the real big thing, because it's, it, for me at least, and, and this is the soapbox I'm going to stand on all day, every day, until I see change in this happen. Realistically, it is time for everybody sitting at that draft table to all collectively look at that guy and tell him to get the hell out and be done with them. Because we will only be a better community if we get rid of that type of person and don't allow them to continue harassing people without getting right back in their face and telling them to f*** off. Maybe these people started out and the things they said weren't as flagrantly offensive as they are now, but because nobody spoke up when they were, you know, mildly offensive, it just kept getting worse and worse, even though something should have been said the first time. 
So I have a theory about that actually, that uh, someone told me when I was very young, I was in, I was a teenager when I first heard this statement, but it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And so I'll share that with everyone now. It's very easy to compromise on your ideals once. And that's the problem. If you allow yourself to compromise even just the once, then the, it makes every subsequent time after that easier and easier for you to compromise until before you know it, all you're doing is compromising what you believe in. And that is how you get into trouble. And I'm confident that the type of people who are the ones that we're trying to reach out to here are ones who maybe just didn't ever mean to be that way, but they compromised for sake of stature in their friend group, for not being the one out for laughing at a joke about that was derogatory about some female magic player who was walking by or, you know, not wanting to be ostracized from your group. I mean, there's always reasons that you can justify to compromise your ideals and then over and over and over again, you compromise and compromise until you are just one of those people. And we have to do better than that. We have to shine a light on that and point out when people are making those compromises so that they can make a full out decision as to whether this is really who they want to be or if this is just the road that they happen to go down not knowing what they were doing. I 100% agree. That is my soapbox for this week. Uh, much more serious than most weekly segments, but you know what? It needed to be said. And keep talking to me anytime you want, and I will be more than happy to share more thoughts on this with you if you like, but it matters. So with that, uh, if you would like to continue this conversation by any means, feel free to reach out to us. Our Twitter is at MTGTeamCE. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MTGTeamCE on Instagram as well at, you guessed it, MTGTeamCE, where Brian is putting up quite a bit more uh, fascinating stuff for y'all to check out. And of course, you can find us streaming on Twitch.tv slash MTGTeamCE. We've been having issues with streaming lately, but we're going to be getting back to that soon, hopefully. Uh, and definitely check out our YouTube channel, search for Team Collective Effort. I just put up a video going through a Simic Titan deck that's running Dryad of the Lysian Grove, two Valakets, and no mountains. Bring out your boils. Definitely check it out and see what happens. Don't put that out there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the less people think of that, the better. Uh, you know what? Strangely enough, Marcos, I 100% agree. Thank you, Blue Mage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, you can also email us at teamcollectiveeffort at gmail.com. Send us any spicy lists you'd like to see us turn into videos uh, or go over on the cast at some point. We're happy to check them out and chat with you. And make sure to join us next week for the third installment of our How Judges Can Help You at Competitive Events series of podcasts. Thank you all for coming out, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Sorry. I, I, I don't like the other word that comes to mind is awarding and I don't want to say award because that has a positive connotation upgrading uh, no I want like doling out yeah but by distributing see that still doesn't sound great yeah by serving by, uh... serving you've been served <laughs> that's a fun one just got served a game loss you are there are tournament organizers <laughs> so yeah. it's a really funny thing that I am proud of. My friends and I are doing a D&D tabletop RPG, and the character I'm playing was an old uh, clone trooper who I decided was going to be like a heavy weapons character, and I made his clone trooper number uh, CR5081, <laughs> which... If you go into the comp rules, is the declare attacker stuff. Nice. Hey. Oh, Marcos, I don't know if I've told. Actually, I don't know how many of you have told about this. Um, you know, Audi came out with their new electric vehicles. They're the the e-tron vehicles. Some Audi <laughs> owner is pissed that I have the e-tron license plate and I don't drive an Audi. <laughs> really? <laughs> Probably. Tell him to give you an Audi then. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you know what? I'll I'll bring the license plate. You bring the car, and we'll work something out. Right. You know, you know, somebody... Modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> yeah, so the, some 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 Audi driver with a new e-tron Audi is going to go to get their personalized plate, and they're just like, what do you, what do you mean it's taken? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> also, have have you read Chains of Mephistopheles? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen that there is a flowchart. There is a flowchart. I have it saved to my phone, and whenever I'm judging a legacy <laughs> event, I always make sure to pull it up to the most recent, because sometimes I, I literally got the call of one at, I think it was Grand Prix Columbus 2016, which was a legacy Grand Prix, from a local player from Fort Wayne that they had a Sylvan library out and a Chains of Mephistopheles on the table, and oh, I just boy. went... <laughs> okay let's go on the inside you're just like you know i kind of hate you right now but <laughs> unbanned twin it's that's just a, that's a topic for a different twi- twi- i mean twin twins not even legal in pioneer i don't care unban it in pauper unban it in tiny leaders um by the way random side note dalton did you happen to see that there was a naya zoo list that 5-0 to pioneer league no yeah. But I'm intrigued because I probably mm. have most of the cards I would need for it. I have a deck list for you. Oh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>